Well, we've, uh, we're about halfway through the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 10 this morning, a portion of Scripture that uh, is pretty well known. It's uh, called the, sometimes called the Good Shepherd Discourse. So I'm just going to jump in. If you have your Bibles and you want to read along with me, I invite you to come to John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. And I'm going to be reading uh, through verse 21 today. All right. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by um, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has bought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I want to pause there for a moment because I came across this really interesting story when I was prepping for the message about somebody who went camping with a group of herdsmen in the Middle East. And this was about the beginning of the 20th century, around the the year 1900. And he said he went camping with these herdsmen. And what they did is they took their tents, there's about a dozen of them, all right, and they all have their, their flocks. And they would arrange their tents in a big circle, all right, and then they would bring all the livestock into the circle, and that's where they would stay during the night, and then the herdsmen would sleep in their tent. Well, now you got all these animals together, you know, how are you going to separate them out? Well, he said what would happen is one of the shepherds would get up, and he would walk a little ways from the camp, and then that shepherd would call his sheep, and then his sheep, and only his sheep, would come out and follow the shepherd. And they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't listen. The, the other sheep, that, that wasn't their shepherd, they didn't listen to him. They just stayed right where they are. So this, this actually does reflect an important aspect of shepherding. Um, and notice, too, that he calls his sheep by name. That's another, uh, it's, it's easy to kind of pass over that, you know. Uh, I think it's in verse 3, he calls them by name. You know, I have four kids, and um, sometimes I can't even remember their names. You know, I get to the point where it's like, you with the face, uh, you know, I call him by the wrong name, you know. But the good shepherd, he knows each individual sheep, okay? He calls everyone by name. He knows them as individuals. They belong to him, each of them, all right? Okay, so um, verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life. That, <laughs> hallelujah, you know. 
I, that He came that we might live and have life abundantly. Amen. He who is a uh, hired hand and not a shepherd. I love that verse. Sorry, it just gets me. Um, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and of the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Lord, help me. Such a girl. <laughs> and, uh, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And uh, there was, uh, again, division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a deep and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So, um, about four or five months ago, I came across this, uh, this book, and it's uh, by W. Philip Keller, and it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it's a, it's a wonderful little book, and it's written by a guy who was, Philip Keller, he was raised in East Africa, okay? So he was actually raised um, amongst other herdsmen. He wasn't in the sort of modernized, fast food, technologized environment that we live in, you know. It's like I was saying the last time I preached, um, sometimes it is kind of difficult to appreciate some of the things that are in the Scriptures because the way that the, they lived in biblical times is just so different, you know, from the way that we live. But he got a taste of that life growing up. And not only that, but when he became an adult, he bought a flock and became a shepherd and a sheep rancher for eight years. And so this, this experience really had a huge impact on how he understood of course, Psalm 23, but even passages like here in John chapter 10 and then Ezekiel chapter 34, which we're going to look at in just a little bit. And one thing, these, so I know nothing about shepherding, of course. And one thing that he, uh, that he wrote that I thought was really interesting is he said, you know, uh, you, you might think that sheep can kind of take care of themselves, you know. And this is, I guess this is kind of what I thought. I thought if you're a shepherd, you get a spread somewhere and you get a, a little house and... Um, uh, a little sheep pen, you know, and you give them some water and let them kind of out of the pen every once in a while and bring them back in and you're, you're done. And he said, nothing can be further from the truth. That as a matter of fact, sheep are amongst the most high maintenance animals on the planet. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, and so if the sheep if the sheep uh, are left to themselves what they will do in short order is they will ruin their own health and they will destroy their pasture land that's what they'll do if they're left on their own so you know when you uh 
read that story in the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus is looking on the crowd of thousands of people and it says uh, his heart was moved um, with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are doomed. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, he sees that they are desperate. They need a shepherd. And he said that when he... So he had his farm and then right next to his farm was another tenant uh, sheep herder. And apparently this tenant farmer, he just did not care about his flock. So he basically just let them do whatever because they were just raised for the slaughterhouse. And so they were, they were sickly, they were weak, they didn't have good grazing ground. And all they did was they parked at the fence line every day so they could look at the green, lush pasture on the other side. And I like what he, what he writes out this farm and those sheep. He said, I never looked at those poor sheep without an acute awareness that this was a precise picture of those wretched old taskmasters, sin and Satan, on their derelict ranch, scoffing at the plight of those within their power. The sheep's well-being depends entirely on having a good shepherd. If they do not have a good shepherd, they are not going to thrive. And this is a theme that's very pronounced in the scriptures. I'm going to go to Ezekiel chapter 34. And the, the, the theologians and commentators I have come across, they're all pretty much in unanimous agreement, which is rare. <laughs> They're all pretty much in unanimous agreement that Ezekiel chapter 34 serves as the background for John chapter 10. And as I read some of the verses, I think you'll immediately see the connection, okay? So let me begin with verse 1 of chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves... Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The stray you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. But go down to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them in their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines. And in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the straight, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so we need to understand the implications of what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the good shepherd. It's the same implications as when he says, I am the bread of life. When he says, I am the light of the world. He is pointing to his true divinity as God's son. And we've got this picture here of, of the good shepherd and we've got the sheep, but we also have um, some less attractive figures on stage. We've got the thieves the robbers, and the hired hand. Now, when you look at the context of John's gospel, in all likelihood, Jesus, once again, is uh, pointing to the Pharisees and the Jewish authorities. Now, why, why do I say that? Why do I think he's, um, he's pointing to them? Well, John chapter 10, at least the beginning of John chapter 10, is really one with John chapter 9. You notice how John chapter 10 starts with the words, truly, truly. Okay, now if I'm not mistaken, uh, whenever Jesus starts uh, with the words truly, truly, he's never introducing a brand new theme. He's always, he's, he's building on something that's just happened or been said. All right? And so we, we need to remember sometimes that the Bible, as, as we know it, that's not the way it was written. They didn't have chapter numbers and verse numbers. Okay? In the original gospel. So if you were reading chapter 9, it would just seamlessly run right into chapter 10. So that's the same context. We've got the Pharisees, the, the man who was born blind. That's the audience. There, there might be some others, too, that are listening to this Good Shepherd discourse. And it seems that once, once again, Jesus is pointing to the, to the Pharisees. And when you look at that story in John chapter 9, they fit the mold. All right? They are, they are trying to bully and intimidate this man. They are trying to bar him from entering through the gate. They're trying to, you know, in the spiritual sense, they're trying to destroy him, although they might not see it that way themselves, right? And if you look at the man who was blind, he, he typifies this, this, the faithful flock, right? Because he won't listen to them. As, as much as they try to pressure them, he is not listening to what they say. And there's a beautiful simplicity to that story in this guy that I just love. I mean, when they... When they sit last, you know what? We know that Jesus is a bad guy. We know that he's a villain and a sinner. So why don't you just own up to it? And he, he just responds. He says, okay, here's what I know, guys. I was blind and now I can see. So you put that in your pipe and smoke it, okay? They didn't have that in the original manuscripts, by the way. But that, that I mean, like, what can you say to that? The guy's like, come on, guys. And, and, you know, the, the Pharisees, in their mind, they don't know that the villains, right? They think that they're the heroes. Like, to them, Jesus, he's the deceiver. He's, he's, the, he's the enemy, but they, they're the true gatekeepers, right, of the law, of the Mosaic Covenant. And they're the guardians of that, and they're the ones who are making sure everything's on the up and up. And so they're very, they're very biblical. You know, when they reject Jesus, they try to come up with biblical reasons. They'll say, well, he's from Galilee. No prophet comes from Galilee. Search the scriptures. They'll say, look at how Jesus 
violates the Sabbath. They're very biblical, but they're not very God-centered. And there's there's a very important lesson for us to learn right there, okay? The Pharisees were centered on the law and how to interpret the law and how to, uh, in their mind, apply the law. But they, they stopped asking the question, what is the purpose of the law? And they stopped thinking about the God behind the law. And they went off the rails. Now, this same thing can happen in the Christian church. We have to be not only biblical, but Christ-centered. If we are not Christ-centered, we too will go off the rails. He's the door, right? He, he is the door. And so, you know, and I'm not saying um, that there's no time and place to uh, look at themes like uh, morality, you know, a biblical view on morality or a biblical view of marriage or a biblical view of finances, right? Okay, that, no, that's okay. Uh, my, you know, my wife and I, we went through the, the Dave Ramsey financial peace class. It's really useful, but, but there's a danger, you see, especially on Sunday morning. There's a danger that we can give people the impression that what we're trying to do is just turn you into law-abiding, clean-cut citizens that have no debt and happy marriages. And if we can do that, we have served our purpose. Uh, and that is, that is not true. It's just simply not the case. Um, I, I knew of a church <laughs> growing up, and uh, there were some words written on the pulpit. But... You couldn't see these words if you were sitting out in the congregation. The only person who could see the words on the pulpit was the man standing behind the pulpit, all right? And they're very simple. Sir, we would see Jesus. And that was there to remind that guy, hey, what are you doing right now? You are there to preach Christ and Him crucified. You are there to lift up the Son of Man, the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep, that lays down his life and that takes it back up, who through his sacrificial death has opened the way for our acceptance and forgiveness by God. All right? And and when we preach this gospel message too, by the way, we need to be Christ said when we preach the gospel. I notice that the modern church... Has a, has a nasty tendency to push Christ to the background even when they talk about salvation. Okay, now what is salvation? Is it just as from punishment? Uh, well, that's a good start, by the way. I mean, I want to escape from punishment. Uh, sign me up. Okay, I, 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 I get it. But is that, is that as deep as we can go? I mean, okay, so that's what we're being saved from. What are we being saved to? And here's where a lot of people will say, heaven, okay? And what's, what's Jesus' role in all this? Uh, he's the guy with the free tickets. And so if, uh, if you believe the right thing, Jesus gives you your ticket, and then Jesus just kind of fades to the background. And it's life everlasting from then on out. And I hope you can see that this is a very flawed and shallow view of salvation, you know? If we're going to talk about Christianity being a relationship and not a religion, better make sure that people know that Jesus didn't die for you so that you could not have a relationship with him and go to heaven. (laughs) Okay? What would heaven be without Jesus? Hell. Okay, but but see, that's the the point, is that we have to recapture that salvation, 
What is the purpose of that acceptance and forgiveness that we are extended? The purpose of that acceptance and forgiveness is to be reconciled to God. For that relationship that has been broken to be restored so we can have fellowship with Him. And that's what we need to, to latch on to. It's that fellowship and communion with God that is salvation. That is everlasting life. And if we, can, if we can walk with Him, we'll know that. And that's the picture, by the way, that Jesus gives here in John chapter 10. This, this beautiful picture of what a Christian life should be, right? Where you have the good shepherd who faithfully ministers to the flock, and then the faithful flock that doesn't listen to anyone except the good shepherd. And this, this is what leads to the abundant life. When, when we fall in with this picture, okay, that Jesus has given here in John chapter 10. And um, you know, another, another beautiful picture. I mentioned Psalm 23 earlier. This is a beautiful picture of the good shepherd's care for his sheep. Who wrote Psalm 23? The shepherd king. King David. And think about how David opens the lines of that psalm. I want us to think about this. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, if you take those words at face value, you know, I shall not want simply means I'm not going to lack anything. I'm going to be provided for. And that, that's good as far as it goes. But at some point in his life, David, I don't know when he wrote that psalm, but at some point in his life, he must have recognized a much deeper meaning in those words. Why, why, why do I say that? What am I getting at? Well, David often was in very difficult situations, okay? He was a man who he knew privation. He knew suffering. I mean, let's just take one episode. I could point to several, but let me just take one episode. Let's talk about when he is on the run, as the most powerful man in Israel is trying to hunt him down and kill him. Right? He's with his group of ragtag followers, and they are scratching a living off of rocks and whatever they can get. Okay? Now, now, you think about this. Okay? Uh, the President of the United States is trying to hunt you down. All right? and you're running to Canada or Mexico or wherever <laughs> for life. You know? Do you think that while that's going on, you could sit down and write, The Lord is my shirt. I shall not want. That, that, that's someone who has a good shepherd. And, and I like to do this. I, 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 <laughs> I like to talk about what wasn't written there, right? He didn't say, um, I've worked real hard and I've got this financial safety net I shall not want. And he didn't write, you know what? I've solved every problem that I have. Uh, uh, every problem that I have, I've solved it. And my family, I've solved their problems too. And now, I don't want anything else. I've got covered. He didn't write that. He doesn't write, I am a ninth degree Jedi master spiritual black belt. I live on a mountain on red and rocks. I shall not want. He doesn't say any of that. He says, he says the, the, what's the cause? It's because of who his shepherd is. He says, look who my shepherd is. My shepherd's the Lord. That, that's why I'm perfectly good. Because he makes me lie down. In green pastures, when I'm weary and I'm weak, He's the one who leads me beside the still waters, who refreshes me with His Holy Spirit. 
He's the one that restores my soul when I'm battered by discouragement and discontentment. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And when He's in the valley of shadow of death, why does He fear no evil? Because He's so brave? He says, no, I fear no evil because you are with me. You see, it's entire, His well-being is entirely dependent on His shepherd and being with His shepherd. And as long as He's with the shepherd... He's got it. And so we, we do want to be careful when we think, uh, you know, these words are true. That Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. But we, we, we do need to be careful when we try to envision. In fact, this is, this is probably not a healthy exercise to try to envision what the abundant life should look like. That's when we start going wrong, okay? So let, let's come back to the story of the man who was born blind, Okay? Let's think about the day that he had that day. He was, um, he was dragged before the religious authorities. Okay. He was bullied and badgered and intimidated and insulted. Uh, his own family threw him under the bus. What kind of a day do you think he was having? He was having the greatest day of his life. You know why? Because he was blind. But now he could see. And that's the greatest day of his life. He, he knew now who that good shepherd was. He was looking at the Son of Man. And he said, I've got it. These, the, he knew that those Pharisees didn't care. Two straws about him. They would have been perfectly content. He remained blind his entire life rather than be healed on the Sabbath. But now he had found the good shepherd. And he knew that that shepherd was going to lead him to the good pasture. Now, I like what Charles Gore writes in his, his commentary on uh, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. He says, um, True Christianity is inseparable from deep joy. And the secret of that joy lies in a continual looking away from all else, away from sin and its ways, and from the manifold hindrances to the good we would do up to God. His love, His purposes, His will. In proportion, as we do look up to him, we shall rejoice. Do you remember that old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Do you remember that one? Sometimes like, the whole of Christian theology can be summed up in those words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's it. That's, that's your job. If you can do that, the devil can't touch you. We're talking about thieves and robbers. Well, your adversary is a thief and a robber. And there's all kinds of places that are vying for your attention right now that want to distract you, that want to take your eyes off that good shepherd. And there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety in our world right now. And if you're thinking, well, I'll, I'll be going as soon as it all simmers down. Oh, you might have a little while to wait. But that's, that's the point. You don't need to listen to that voice. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Jesus is Good Shepherd. He's laid His life down for us, and He wants us to be fully alive in Him and have abundant life. So let's be His faithful sheep. Let's look to him and say, that's the voice that I'm going to listen to. Amen. All right, let's pray.
Uh, Holy Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that we have been able to fellowship here together as your body, and that we can worship together, and that we can open up the scriptures and read them and read the words that have been recorded for our salvation. Lord, we, we pray that you will be the shepherd of Emmanuel Baptist Church, Lord, and that we will be your faithful flock, that we follow you and listen to your voice, and we just pray that you tear down all the works of the evil one, Lord, all the, the things he's trying to do to choke us up and distract us. Give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, and give us the strength and the, and the power and the peace comes from knowing you and just trusting in you, Lord. We pray for that faith. Grant us faith, Lord. Faith that you are true and that your promises are true. Faith that you will be our good shepherd. And be glorified what we're doing here today until the end of the, the, end of the age, Lord. In your righteous name we pray. Amen.